So, good morning. Good morning. That was awesome. Okay. So, just before we get started, I've got a lot of stuff to go through this morning. I hope it's a lot of stuff that, like, man, that God is so clear about what he's doing with his church, how he has called us to respond to his gospel. And I've got, there's tons of stuff, and so I'm going to move really fast, and I apologize beforehand. Um, but really, before, as we jump right in, what I want to do is catch everybody up to speed on where we've been, specifically over the last three weeks. The last three weeks, uh, I'm going to fall over this, so I'm going to move it. Um, the last three weeks, we've been looking at the theology of work. We've been looking at how God created us to work, and how in the very beginning, before sin even entered the world, that work was commissioned by God, that God said to go and, and to work in the garden, and to, to do all this amongst the creation, and that, that Jesus redeems our reason for our work, that we're not just working as a part of a fallen world now. It's not that we're just stuck as a part of this, but we, we work because we have a hope that God is going to come and make all things new. That it's not something He just leaves us, but it's, we saw in Revelation, it says, a new heavens and new earth, this, this future reality that we see in, in Revelation but through it, Jesus has redeemed our work. Last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians 7 and um, Proverbs 16, and we saw that God has established each one of us right where we are at. That it says, like, the Lord has assigned that we're all placed exactly where he wants us, and in schools, and jobs, and different stages of life, and different places where he has us. That it's, that's his doing. While we think we're making the plan, it's all been him. And the last kind of point that I made last week was that in our relationships that we have at our, at our jobs and, our, and, and in various things that we're involved in, in those relationships, we're able to share the gospel. We're able to build relationships with the purpose of sharing the gospel. Our work ethic shows Jesus. Our character and integrity shows Jesus. But the relationships that we form and the places we are at are there so we can share the gospel. So this week is not really a theology of work, but it really is an extension of the point, the third point last week. Like there was just too much there that I couldn't get it all into last week. I ended up like cutting a bunch off and it still went like 50 minutes and there's just so much there. So I really just want to expand on where we were last week. Near the end of last week, what I said was that Jesus is building his church. Jesus is saving people. As this is his work that we've seen from the church in Acts all the way through now. That is his doing. It's his work. But the avenue by which Jesus has chosen to build his church is through his current church. He's commissioned his current church to go and make disciples. He's commissioned us to go preach the gospel, to baptize, to teach all that he has commanded. That This has always been his method, his, the way that the church grows. And we're going to see like this is relevant on Sunday mornings, this is relevant on Monday mornings, this is relevant um, on Friday nights. Like Wherever we're at, this is the call of the church, for the church, for individual Christians, to take the gospel to the rest of the world. This morning we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5. Um, so go ahead and start flipping there. Um, this should be a very familiar passage if you've been around CRC for any length of time. Um, like this is where the name of our church kind of stems from here in 2 Corinthians 5. Um, in, the, in 2 Corinthians 5 we see that, that through Christ we have been reconciled to God. Christ reconciled church. That is where 
we, that's where that, that came from. So go ahead and flip there. Um, I didn't give you a lot of time, I realized, but again, we've got a lot of stuff to go through. So it's going to be up on the screen. We're going to do um, verses 14 through 21. Starting in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this is a very familiar passage to many people, uh, but whether it's brand new, whether it's familiar, I hope that we're able to see this in, in a new way. Because there is a huge call to ministry here. Like a huge call. For some reason, if somehow you missed that in Matthew 28, when we did that a couple weeks ago, we talked about Matthew 28 again last week a little bit, that the church has been called to make disciples. And so somehow you missed that then. I'm not going to let you miss it this morning. Um, There's one thing that I don't want you to forget. Um, You may forget a song that we sing. You may forget what we have for lunch. It's pancakes, so I doubt it. But, um, like, you may forget some things about this morning, but but please don't forget this right here. If you understand what salvation means, if you understand what Christ has done for you, we can't not share the gospel. We can't not share the gospel. We are compelled to share the gospel if we really know what Christ has done on our behalf. I'm going to repeat it numerous times this morning. I'm going to really talk in a big circle and repeat myself a bunch of times this morning. It's not accidental. It's uh, very planned to be very repetitive. But there's so much in these verses right here. Within this part of 2 Corinthians, uh, there's so much. And I'm not going to walk through it like verse 14, verse 15, verse 16, all the way through. Um, Some weeks we do that. Um, but this week I'm going to be all over the place. We're going to be in 17, then 21, and then 13. We're going to be all over the place and probably do that a couple times. But the first thing I want to establish, I don't want to take anything for granted that, that we're all on the same page here, so I just want to take a couple minutes and make sure that we're all on the same page with what is talking, what, what we're talking about here. What is, what is salvation? What is it, when Christ says, made, being made new, this new creation? What, is it, what does it mean to be reconciled to God? Verse 17, um, it'll be up on the screen. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. For us to totally understand what this new creation, what this means, I think we need to understand what the old, like what is is being made new? What is the old? 
From Genesis to Revelation, we see the Bible being very clear about man, about all of us, our, our inability, our depravity, our sin. Like the Bible makes very clear that we are sinners, each and every one of us. And that Romans 6.23, another well-known verse to a lot of people, says that the wages of sin, the wages of this, what we earn with our sin is death, is this separation from God. That in God's perfect righteousness, in His perfect justice, that he cannot just be okay with sin, that our sin deserves death. Like, for each and every one of us in this room, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, whatever you are, like, this is your story. We're going to add to it, but this is your story. The Bible also teaches that there's nothing that we can do, that, that, that this, this divide that has been there because of our sin, there's nothing that we can do to somehow make ourselves good enough that because of our sin we've been so affected that there's nothing good that we can do to somehow become good enough for God. That there's nothing that we can do to make restitution for the way that we've offended God with our sin. Like that's not something we can do. In our sin we've offended God. Perfect, holy, righteous. Like, and those words go so much more beyond anything that we can fathom, I think. I don't think we can truly grasp what it means to be truly holy, what it means to be righteous. And in our sin, we have offended God. Still, this is your story. But then enter Jesus. So skip down to verse 21 for a second. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I'm going to flip over the next slide for a second, because I'm going to fill in the pro, the, those pronouns a little bit, because it can be a little confusing as we go through this quickly. So read this again. I just filled in the pronouns, all the he's in there, to make sure we fully grasp what this is saying. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Like this is the whole gospel wrapped up in this one verse here. Like do you see the whole gospel here? Like solely because God unconditionally loves us, He sent Jesus to be sin on our behalf, to take the wrath that we deserved. Like that, that thing that we can't make restitution, we can't somehow correct this divide because of our sin, this relationship with God, that Jesus did that on our behalf, our sins on His body on the cross. That in this moment, Man can be reconciled to God, that Jesus did everything that was necessary to provide this reconciliation that, listen, like in our culture, in our world, if we are the ones offending someone else, it's our job to go and make that right. It's our job to go and pay the price. It's our job to go and apologize or seek forgiveness or pay the debt, whatever it is. Like that is how our culture, the, the world for as far as I know, like, treats this. It's the job of the offender to go and make it right. But this is not the gospel. The gospel says that God, the offended, did this. He did this on our behalf. The offended reconciled. The offended went and made it right and provided this forgiveness of sin. 
Like, if, if you're saying, yes, like, this is my only hope. I trust that this, through Jesus, is the only way that, we can be, that I can be saved. If this is where your hope is, then again, like, this is your story. If that is where all of your hope, all of your boast, everything you are, if that is where it is, then this is your story. But here again, here again, like this, it's not just that, that we're, we're forgiven from our sin, that we're, that we're cleaned and able to start fresh. It's not just that we've given this blank slate to try to not sin again. Like that's not what true forgiveness, well, it's not what it's talking about. So look at verse 21, the very end. It says, so, he did that so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Solely based on what Christ has done, we are seen as righteous in the eyes of God. Like, there's a, so much that we could talk about with this. There's so much here. But, like, this is called imputed righteousness in theology circles. Imputed righteousness, that it's not something we go and get, it's not something we try to go find, but imputed means it's solely given. That it's not that we're treated as blank slate and we've got to try not to sin. No, like, in the eyes of God, we are seen as righteous solely because of what Jesus has done like imputed righteousness. We are seen as righteous because of what Jesus has done. Like, I don't know if, it's, hard, it's really hard to fathom. Like, I, it's beyond crazy, it's beyond amazing that this is the story for Christians. That it's not anything that we've done. But it's all based on what Jesus has done. He became man. He lived a perfect life. He defeated death. He died on our behalf. It's all wrapped up in who he is. Like, this is why we rejoice. Like, we don't rejoice because we are good. We don't rejoice because of what we think that we've done to save ourselves. Like, we rejoice because it's solely not about us. Like, it has nothing to do with us. It's all been about what Jesus has done. Like, our identity at that point is no longer has anything to do with us. Our identity, I talked about this last week a little bit, that our identity is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Like, it's not in our, in our physical bodies, it's not in our jobs, it's not in our socioeconomic status. Our identity is found solely in what Jesus has done on our behalf. Like, that is our identity. Christian, this is your identity, this is your story. So why are you at your job? Jesus. Why do you wake up in the morning? Jesus. Why do you... Go volunteer this organization. Jesus, why do you come to church? Jesus, why do you? Jesus, like every single thing. Because verse 18, I think it's up there, maybe. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Like that's all that we are, is a bunch of broken sinners who have been redeemed by Jesus. That's all that we as the church are. That's the only thing our boast is in. Like, feel this. Think about this. Because this is where the big shift is. This right here is when everything shifts. Because based on this, the rest of the passage that we're going to go through this morning, the rest of it stems from this. The fact that the, the church, the individual Christians, we've been reconciled to God. It's only based on what he's done. That's where everything, the, the rest of this flows from. Because last week, as I was wrapping things up, again, I said this earlier, 
But we, we saw the Great Commission. We saw that Jesus is building a church. He is the one doing this. But he's using the church. He's using us. He's using those that he has saved to go and preach that message. He's using the church to build the church. Like, we've been the ones entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation that we see here. Let's pick up in verse 18. It says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, the foundation lies in the fact that Jesus, it's all about him. It's who we are. It's, it's, it's what he has made us to be with our identity just wrapped up in what he's done. It's through that that all the rest, of the, us being entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation, it all flows from that. And this is a responsibility that we as the church have, and it can't be one that we take lightly. Like, we've not been saved. Jesus has not reconciled us to God. That we've not been made right with God to continue to live as if nothing crazy and amazing and astonishing has happened to us. Like, that's not what we've been called to. Like, we've been saved solely for the sake of Jesus' name among the nations to bring him praise. Like, this is what Romans 1 and Paul says. I've been given grace. I've been given apostleship for the sake of Jesus' name among the nations. Like, we've been saved to bring glory to God as we go. And, like, this is all Paul talking about his call to ministry, that, that, that Paul has been called to this ministry of reconciliation. Like, this is Paul talking about himself and the group that he's with. But this is also each one of us. If you've been saved, like, this is us. And Paul refers to himself as an ambassador, an ambassador for Christ. Like, what does it mean to be an ambassador? I mean, the only th the thing that comes to mind is always like the United States ambassador to China or, or whatever other country. And like they're there not representing themselves, but they're there representing the country that sent them. Or they're there representing, they're not there preaching their own message, they're not there advocating for themselves, but they're there on behalf of the country. Like, we are these ambassadors, but we're ambassadors for Christ. Like, we, we've been placed, not preaching our own message, but to preach a gospel, to preach something that has the power to change lives, has the power to take people from death to life. We've been entrusted with this gospel, with that power. That's what we've been entrusted with. That's what we've been commissioned to go with. Like, do you feel the weight at all? Because I want us to feel this weight a little bit. I want us to feel that this is what we as the church have been called to do. This is the ministry that we've been called to. But it has to be a passion of ours, right? Like, it, it, some of, like, I feel like all too often like, we don't feel this as, as a responsibility. We don't feel like this, this great thing that we've been entrusted with. Like we preach a gospel that says, it's not nothing to do with us. We preach a gospel that is all Jesus. 
It's all Jesus saving people. It's all, every ounce of it has to be in him. Because of this dramatic shift in identity, because it's become so much not about us, like we go and we preach this message. It's all wrapped up in him. Again, I'm repeating myself, but if this is you, if this is where your identity is, then how can we not go and proclaim that gospel to other people? Like, skip back up to verse 14. Verse 14 and 15. Paul says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. For clarification's sake, I want to kind of read this again in a little bit different way. So what is it that Paul says he concluded? Because he says, the love of Christ controls me because I've concluded this. So what has he concluded? He's concluded that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. A lot of words there. There's a lot of words there. But what, he, what Paul is saying is, he's concluded that Jesus has died for man, that they might not live for themselves, but live for him. Solely based on what Jesus has done. Paul is saying, I've concluded this. So, what, so what's the result of that? The love of Christ controls him. The love of Christ controls him because he understands what the gospel is. He understands what Jesus has done on his behalf. Because of that, the love of Christ controls him. Other versions say compels. Say, the love of Christ compels him. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Like, Paul is compelled. Like, he's like, I can't not share this. Because of what Christ has done in my life, I can't not share this. Look at, you know, don't flip there. I'm not going to give you time, sorry. Flip to, no, I said it. But look at 1 Corinthians 9, 16. It's going to be up here. These are, again, Paul's words. It should be up on the, Rebecca, do you see 1 Corinthians 9, 16? I'm going to read it. It'll be up there. For if, this is Paul speaking. For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Like Paul, this is a man who is compelled to preach the gospel. Like he can't get away from this because of what it is, like the power of the gospel and how it's changed his life. Have you ever been compelled to talk about something? Like not... I'm not even talking about the gospel at the moment. Like, have you ever been compelled to talk about something? As I go into work tomorrow, there's going to be people every Monday that are compelled, being compelled to talk about this reality TV show. And I'm like, like it's like they come in and they're like, oh, I've got to talk about this. I've got, like, I can't not talk about this. And it goes back and forth. And it's like, oh, my goodness. But, like, we're all the same way with different things. Like, sports games, a concert, 
Whatever it is, like we're compelled because it's something we feel. Like it's something, look at when something big happens in the United States, good or bad. Like we're compelled to talk about it because it's something we feel. When entire states are ravaged by a hurricane, like we talk about it because it's something that we're feeling, it's something that's going on, and we're compelled to talk about it. Think of it of a different example. Like when really good things happen, we're also compelled to talk about it. There was a Sunday, the Varneys, I'm not sure where you guys were this Sunday, but we found out early Sunday morning that there was Varney babies. And it was like, every one of the churches like, oh, there's Varney babies. We're like compelled to talk about this great, joyous thing that has happened. I think you guys are a little bit busy. Um, but like, it was this joyous occasion that we all were like rejoicing in. Like, oh, look at this picture. Did you see this? Did you see this? We're compelled to talk about it because we feel it. We can, we're compelled to talk about it because it's this wonderful thing that has happened. If we truly understand what the wonderful thing of the gospel is, that we've been taken from death to life, given this eternal hope with Jesus, how are we not compelled to talk about it? Like, this is a feeling, understanding the love of Christ, understanding what he has done, it is that love that must compel us. Compel us. Does this describe your daily life, your daily attitude going into conversations, your daily attitude going into work, going into school, going into wherever we're at? Like, is that attitude? Like, we're just so compelled to share the gospel in whatever way we can. We're just, we're compelled. If that, if that is you, praise God. Like, that is something to rejoice in. But I, I feel like a lot of us probably aren't necessarily there. And I would lump myself in with the second group much more often than the first. Like, why? It's a lot easier to talk about other things, right? It's a lot easier to talk about sports or music or um, TV shows or the weather or every, any, enter any other thing. It's like, yeah, that's easier to talk about. It's, it's, we all have this thing in common at our workplace. There's all these things that are so much easier to talk about. But why do we get this sense of like, but to talk about Jesus? Does it, it feels like, oh, but it might get awkward. It might, like, people might think we're weird. It might impact our job. It, it might impact some of our relationships. Like, why, why is it that we don't share the gospel more often than we do? Like, just think about that answer for yourself. As we talk about Jesus, like, it might get awkward. People might think we're weird. I mean, look around this room. We're all weird. Like, that's okay. Like, it might affect our jobs. It might affect our relationships. But what is it that is compelling us to do that? What is it that's compelling us to share the gospel? What the gospel is. Who, well, who we are because of the gospel. Who we are because we've been saved. Like, compelled. Think about who's writing this in 2 Corinthians 5. Like, this, is, this is Paul. Paul was this hotshot, up-and-coming Pharisee 
who, who had a lot going for him, had this wonderful life kind of out in front of him as the elite, as the rich. Because of the gospel, Paul was beaten almost to the point of death multiple times. He was shipwrecked. He was bit by a snake. He was thrown out of towns. All of these things. Like His whole life and the course of his life was altered because of the gospel. And because he understood that who he was in Christ meant more than anything else, meant more than all the rest. And yet, we're worried about something getting awkward or we're afraid of being weird or that our relationships might be affected. Think about, think about who's writing this here. There's Christians worldwide who preach the gospel knowing that it could lead to them being killed. They're so compelled by the gospel that they can't not share it no matter the consequences. It's been like that since Acts. We see the church scattering in Acts because of the persecution they were, they were, they were being given. Sorry, I lost it there. Um, the grammar, don't judge me. But because of the persecution, they were scattered. And in Acts, right after Stephen was stoned, we see that there went, there, those that are scattered also went about preaching the word. They're not even given a name. It just says they. Those same people, if you read through Acts like 6, 7, and keep going, we see that those people that are scattered are the ones that established the church in Antioch. You see that it's that same church in Antioch that sends Paul out on his first missionary journey. Like those people that established that church were not Paul and Peter and, and Timothy and all these people we see. It was they. Christians, people who were compelled by the gospel, being scattered about preaching the word. Listen, the call of the gospel, the call to follow Jesus from the very get-go has been a call to die. Maybe not physically die, but maybe, but it's a call to die to our own desires, our own plan, our own, our own safety maybe, our own way of life. Like Because it's not about us. Remember, our identity has become all Jesus. That's all it is. Everything we are, all of it is because what Jesus has done. But does this level of surrender, this level of submission to the call of Jesus, and just say, go make disciples, go, they were ministers of reconciliation, does that describe who we are? Does that describe who you are? Listen, before I even ask this next question, I want to say I'm not trying to bring any guilt or condemnation on any single one of us. That's not the goal of this question. But when was the last time you talked about Jesus to someone who is not a Christian. Not, not talking about a full gospel presentation where you called someone to repentance. I'm talking about when is the last time someone who's not a Christian, you just said, you talked about Jesus. Listen, I'm not trying to bring this guilt and shame because that's not what, we, what you've been doing. That's, that's not my goal here. But I want us to feel the weight of this, of what we've been called to, to go and to make disciples. And the ministry of reconciliation centers on the message of reconciliation, which centers on Jesus. Listen, it's not up to us to save people. That is not our role. 
Like, our role is to take the gospel. Jesus and Jesus alone is the one who saves. Like, as we go preaching the gospel, as we go talking about this message of reconciliation, the gospel, God's, it's God's role to penetrate people's hearts and, and bring them to an understanding and bring them to salvation. That is his and his alone. Like Jesus says as he sends out the, in Matthew 28, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Like, it's him doing this. It's not us. But also, I don't think that his plan for salvation involved some preachers standing on a pulpit or, or behind a pulpit or whatever this is. Or, um, but, like, that's not, it's not, they say, well, there's going to be preachers who preach the gospel. The gospel going to the world, I think, is so beyond anybody, anything that we say from up here, anything that is said from a pulpit or a, a pastor anywhere. Like, this is for all of us, the church, all of us, to take the gospel sprinkled about wherever God has assigned, we saw last week, to take the gospel. Again, I know I'm being repetitive, but with our identity in Jesus, this has to be who we are. Listen, for, for it not to be, we are not being the church we are not being the church if we are not taking the gospel to a broken, dying world. And, and, and hear me out. Hear this next thing. If we are not being obedient to the Great Commission, if we are not seeking to make disciples, then we are in sin. And I'll let that linger for just a second. I wrote in my notes, let this linger, because I'm serious. I hear this. If we are not seeking to make disciples, we are in sin. I'm not saying if we're not seeing people saved. I'm not saying that it's our job to save people, because we know, I just said, that's not our role. That is God's and God's alone. So it's not that we're seeing fruit of our labor, fruit of our evangelism, fruit of seeing people saved. That's not it. That's God's. But if we are not actively seeking to make disciples, going out preaching the gospel, then we are being less than obedient to a straight, direct command from God. Big thought. I believe it's true. What would it look like for that to be our identity? What would it look like for us to be so rallied around this, preaching the gospel because of what Jesus has done? What would it look like for us as a church to be known for our love, to be known for the way that we preach the gospel, not because of us, not because of our church, but solely based on Jesus? Listen, I'm just going to throw out some scenarios, some examples. Some, this is not a cookie-cutter answer that I say, okay, now, because I, because I said this from here, that you've got to go and do all these things exactly. That's not at all why I'm saying these things. But I just want to throw out some thoughts, some ideas. What would it look like for us as a church, individually, to so have a burden to share the gospel with our neighbors, those that seriously live in proximity to us, that we are consistently praying for and seeking these opportunities? Maybe it's inviting the neighbors over for dinner. Maybe it's inviting them over for a picnic in the backyard. Maybe it's inviting them over to, for a game night. Maybe it's what, enter whatever. Like, but what if... 
sharing the gospel with our neighbors was this ultimate importance that we said, man, we so desperately want you to know Jesus that we want to share this with you. Because last week we talked about those people that are coworkers that have, they all have goals, they all have needs, they all have hurts. And as we get to know these people, there's going to be opportunities to share the gospel. What if we at our jobs all of a sudden saw our jobs as this mission field that we can go and build relationships with people? What if we didn't take our lunch break to ourselves? What if we said, no, this is time when I can go take a coworker out for lunch, when I can go eat with someone else and use this time to share the gospel, to get to know people? What if we saw every moment like this as an opportunity to share the gospel? What if we purposely sought out opportunities and organizations and activities to be involved in for the sake of the gospel, just to make Jesus known? Maybe it's things you're already involved in. Maybe it's a certain volunteer organization. Maybe it's an activity on, on campus if you're a student. Maybe it's anything you're involved in. But maybe you're not involved in anything. What if you're looking for things to be involved in? And say, I want to go be involved with that, that group, that game, that group that goes and does gaming together. Maybe it's a, a basketball team. Maybe it's these various things that maybe totally outside of the church, but we go and be a part of that solely to share the gospel, to build relationships that allow us to share the gospel. Maybe you were a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad. What if we saw, saw these opportunities when we're at home to invite other people to our home, to invite other, other stay-at-home moms or dads, to, to bring them over to share the gospel with them, to, to do that life together, to invite them to come be a part of what we're doing, to build relationships, to share the gospel. Like, if we're not intentional with doing this, if we're not intentional with seeking to make disciples, to preach the gospel, it's not going to happen. If this is not something we're seeking to do, it's not going to happen. We have been entrusted with a message, entrusted with a gospel that has the power to change lives, to have people who are spiritually dead, who are spiritually stuck in their sin, and it has the power to make them alive, to give them a hope that Jesus died on behalf of their sin, on behalf of them who deserved that. Like, I don't, I think we misunderstand, or like, we don't understand the power of the gospel. Like, again, remember, it's not us doing this. Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Like, if we preach the gospel, God is going to save people. Now, I'm not saying every single time the gospel is shared, every single time that, that we share the gospel message that people are going to be saved, right? Like, that's not what I'm saying. But big picture, if we share the gospel, if we as a church are out taking the gospel to Johnson City and the Tri-Cities and Tennessee and, and everywhere we are, God is going to save people. Like this is what we've been commissioned with. We've been commissioned to take the gospel. Each one of us, if, if you are a Christian, you say, yes, this is my hope. Like the only reason you are saved is because of Jesus. It's only because of his grace and his mercy. And I'm saying this over and over, but hear that. 
Like that love that he displayed, it is that that compels us. If that is your story, if that is our only boast, how can we not be compelled to take that? I'm going to invite Nick to come on up. Um, just to start playing, um, the rest of the band, if you want to go ahead and come on up, you're more than welcome to. Um, but understanding and believing in what Jesus has done If we truly understand what he has done, I think that leads us to a place where we're so passionately in love with him, in love with what he has done, that we can't not talk about it. Listen, during this time, what I want to do is just spend some time praying. I encourage you all to spend some time praying. Like, if you say, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, like, Christ has died to save me from my sins. This is my only hope. Spend this time praying for opportunities to take the gospel to the world that God has placed you in. Pray that God would show you these opportunities, and that not just to show you, but that he would cause you to have boldness and have no fear, that we would boldly be proclaiming the name of Jesus. Maybe you need to spend some time in, in repentance because you're like, this is not something I've been obedient to. This is something that I've not been doing. Take that to Jesus. Like, it, grace, forgiveness, that is something that Jesus is, is there to provide. Like, like, this is, like, there's no guilt, no condemnation, but there's repentance from less than obedience. And there's repentance that this should cause. But I'm asking, like, pray for big things. Pray that God would not only use you to share the gospel, but that he would use you to share the gospel and that we would see tons of people saved. Like, think about it in Acts. The church, the apostles were preaching the gospel and thousands of people were being saved per day. Like it says, the thousands of people were added to the church. I don't think it's a lofty prayer to pray that God would save thousands of people and add them to the church. Not just bring them all to CRC, but add them to the church, add them to the people that God is saving in this city, in this nation, in this world. But maybe you're sitting here thinking that this is not your story. That this is not what you necessarily believe in. And you're like, I, I don't know what that looks like in my life. I don't really know that Jesus is my only hope. I don't quite understand what it means to live solely with our, your identity wrapped up in him. What I want to do is, is read the end of 2 Corinthians 5 one last time. I'm going to go a little bit into chapter 6. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. 
For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day for salvation. Now is the favorable time. Like, there is no better time to put your faith in Jesus than right now. Like, it's always been about Jesus. I hope that's what you hear us preaching. I hope that's what you hear from us, that it's all Jesus, that each and every one of us is who we are because of Jesus. Listen, if this is where you feel like you're at, you're like, duh, this is me. This is, I, I feel like, for the very first time, I understand this. If you have questions, I don't, come grab me. I will put down this stuff in a heartbeat. Go grab Dale. Go grab someone. Ask these questions. Because now is the favorable time. Like, the gospel is everything we are. It's the only hope that we have. Let's pray.